You're listening to the Home Staging Show podcast. I'm your host, Dylan. This is a show where we talk about all things real estate, home staging, and how to create a vibrant and thriving home staging business. Welcome back to the show. This is episode 158. Hey guys, as you know, 17 Hats was our main sponsor at SagerCon 2021. We recommend 17 Hats because it was a critical part of our home staging business and free us up from lots of paperwork, admin, and chasing clients with emails so that we can focus on what we love to do, which is staging. If you're like us, you probably didn't go into the business for the paperwork. You know, all those invoices, emails, reminders, to-dos, and just the incessant chasing after client for paperwork. So that's where 17 Hats comes in for us. It's like you cloned yourself. Their all-in-one platform automates your staging business. 17 Hats handles the tedious stuff like payment reminders, capturing leads, proposal, invoicing, and even scheduling. We actually created a resource guide for you on our site. Just go to stagetrimmer.com slash 17 Hats and find out more about how we use 17 Hats in our home staging business. If you're a current 17 Hats user, we would love to hear about your story too. You can submit your 17 Hats story on our site at stagemore.com slash 17 Hats. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Home Staging Show. So last week, we just wrapped SagerCon and also we wrapped our International Home Staging Awards. So congratulations to all the winners and finalists who have won the award. Your work has been amazing. It's been truly a pleasure to see all the work being submitted to this year's awards. And thank you to those speakers who have shown up for SagerCon volunteering your time. And thank you to our jury members as well for the awards. One of the jury members actually looks through every single project, which is about 800 photos submitted. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much. And thank you for those of you who showed up for SagerCon. I really appreciate you. And also, if you've been a longtime podcast listeners, you as well. I think, I don't know, like... I've been running the staging school a few years now, and it's things like this that really make me want to cry. I know it's really silly, but it really touches me when I get to do events like SagerCon and awards to see and being able to celebrate stagers like you who are just amazing. The things that you're doing for our industry and continuous learning and being part of the industry and being so open and giving to each other, especially in SagerCon this year, people just like so nice sharing their information and talking to each other, asking each other questions. That's what I really want for our community. So thank you so much for those of you who showed up for SagerCon live or those of you who have watched a replay, I really appreciate you. And for those of you who are listening, I really appreciate you being part of my community. I know I'm just getting mushy, but you know, running a school, it's a really interesting thing. It's really different than running a staging business, obviously, because it's not really like a local business. You don't really see your clients from the day to day when you're online running a virtual online international school. So it makes it that much sweeter when we get to do events like SagerCon and awards. And as you know, this year, I'm going to be doing in-person retreat as well. We're doing one in Italy and then the early bird is ending at the end of July. So if you want to come with me to Italy, to Sicily for a week and work on your home staging business, I would love to see you. And also Elaine Penhall, who has been on a podcast before and also one of speakers and sponsor 
for this year's SagerCon. She's also going to be on the retreat as well, co-teaching. So if you're coming on the retreat, you're going to have one-on-one time with both me and Elaine. We're also going to have group sessions as well and a workshop that's really tailored to your home staging business and your needs. And obviously, we're going to have some R&R, some fun times too. So yeah, so I think it's going to be a really good time, especially we are, it's October 2nd through the 7th. And so it's still really hot. I mean, it's going to be in the 80s, like Fahrenheit in Sicily. So it's still short shorts weather. So yeah, if you're interested, definitely come. That early bird is ending pretty soon. So just go on our website at sagemore.com and you'll find out more information about it. SageCon always makes me a bit mushy because obviously it's a lot of work that goes into putting it on. But the community aspect of it really just makes me want to cry. <laughs> I know it's very silly. But anyway, we got a great show today. We got Kate coming back from the show. So if you have heard about Kate, she's a Pinterest manager. She was on the show a few years ago. I think a couple of years, actually. It's not that long ago. But Kate is amazing. And her business has grown as well. So we actually talk a little bit about that on the show because she also essentially run a school online. We kind of have our little event as well on the show in terms of what we find that is wrong with the education landscape. Ultimately, there's a lot of, a lot of issues in terms of education sometimes because with education, a lot of times it's more like a lucrative endeavor to get more money out of people and taking advantage of them, which obviously I'm really against that. But yeah, in general, it's really important, no matter where you are in your staging business, whether you're just starting out, you're about to start, or you've been established for a while, whoever you want to be your mentor or you want to take a program or take a class, just make sure you do your research and due diligence and make sure that's really the right fit for you. I think that's the most important thing. And we did the StagerCon last week where... Uh, quite a few of our speakers actually talk about values, you know, like what exactly is the values for your personal life, you know, your core values, and how does that reflect in your business? So if it's important for you to be able to do X, Y, Z in your staging business, and this potential client is not doing that, or they don't see eye to eye to it, maybe this is not the best business decision for you to move forward. Obviously, it's all personal decision. You know, this year I really wanted to be more interactive. So we have more like social hours. We also have hot seat session where people basically volunteer to be in the hot seat and we talk about their business for 20 to 30 minutes. And I think one of the things that really struck me was one of the stagers, she actually talked about like, wow, I feel like I just got permission to do X, Y, Z. Because for the longest time, I thought I had to run my staging business a certain way. I thought I had to be a vacant stager to be successful. But I actually just really want to do Occupy. And that really struck me because I really feel like it's really important, no matter what you're doing in work and in life, you really need to figure out what you want. What is it you want in life? And how does your work feed into that? How does your work going to serve you to help you fulfill the intentions and the goals that you have for your personal life? I think that is really important. I think in my parents' generation, it was more about working, right, to make a lot of money and then to have a good material life. At least that was really important for my parents. That was the education value that they were brought up on. 
And so they feel like it was really important to make enough money to support their family. And for them, work was more about work. And so their generation worked for 30 years until they retired. But like, time has changed. So today, I think it's really important, it's the other way around, that our work needs to serve us, needs to serve our life. So whatever goals that we have in life, that is the most important part. And then the work should be secondary. But the thing is, that doesn't mean our work cannot reflect the values that we have in our life and our business as well. So for me, for example, ethical marketing is really important. I really hate things like, oh, you can become a home stager in X number of hours, because that's not true. Running a business, not just home staging business, running any business is a lifelong practice. You're going to grow with your business. I think I'm actually a really good example of it. I started my business when I was 25. I basically knew nothing. I knew nothing and no one. And my parents were nice enough to give me the seed money and continuously to lend me money until I was ready to go out on my own. And it was a process. And I essentially grew up with my business. And I have changed the way I pull things together. Staging has changed. The way I run my business has changed. My values have changed as well. I've gotten older. The way I feel about certain things have changed too as I get older. So I really feel like it's really important that the business I choose to do, the work that I choose to do, needs to reflect my personal values. So being ethical, for one, is very important for me. Being diverse, being inclusive is really important for me. Because as a person of color, I unfortunately have experienced discrimination because of my skin color or the way I carry myself when I first moved to the States because I, you know, obviously was a foreigner. You know, things like that. So this is also why it's important for me to really cultivate the community side of our school because I think also one of the things that I've learned from SageCon this year is that people want to be heard. They want to talk to other people and share their experiences they want to be listened to. They also want to share their expertise. And they also want to listen to others and listen to their expertise as well. So it's really nice to be able to have a space to have productive dialogue about our businesses, to be able to carve out that time to really just work on our businesses. That's why I feel like SagerCon was a gift from COVID, unfortunately. But SagerCon really... I feel like, you know, we had our first SagerCon during lockdown, even though we had an idea way before COVID. But it really helped me realize this is exactly what I want to do and what I'm doing at the school makes sense. Anyway, that's a really long emotional spiel and a really sappy beginning for today's podcast. So going back to our fabulous guest, Kate, today... Kate is the owner and founder of Simple Pin Media, a Pinterest management and marketing company. Through their work with over 700 Pinterest accounts, they take a data-driven approach to crafting a Pinterest strategy that aims to help their clients and students find the perfect person on Pinterest. Kate teaches thousands of people about Pinterest marketing through various speaking engagements in her podcast, The Simple Pin Podcast. Yeah, so I think today's going to be a fabulous episode. I know a lot of times we don't really use Pinterest for marketing, but as a seizure, it's definitely something you can consider as well, especially it's more for the long tail traffic. And Pinterest is also a really great communication tool. If you have design client that you're working with, you can have a secret board. 
to pin things from your client that they want and then vice versa. So yeah, so that's why I love Pinterest. I think it's a great place to be. It's also a search engine. It's, it's not only for recipes, but you can also be very productive as a stager, not only for your marketing, but also for your design side of work, getting inspiration, et cetera, et cetera. All right, so without further ado, let's start the show. Hi, Kate. Welcome back to the show. I know we yeah. last spoke in 2019 and things have changed quite a bit on interest and in the world as well, as we know. So before we get started today, for those listeners who may not be familiar with you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and also your business? Yeah. And I'm so excited to be back. And you're right. 2019 to now feels like 1 million years have passed and the world has changed tremendously. So one thing that hasn't changed is we still have a Pinterest marketing agency where we only focus on helping people manage. So we do it for them, but we also teach people how to do it so that they can really understand how to leverage Pinterest for their business in a way that doesn't feel overwhelming. So we still focus on that eight years from when we started back in 2014. That's fantastic. So how has Pinterest changed in the last few years? Uh, well, with the pandemic, Pinterest got a flood of users. They literally doubled the amount of people using the platform. And so what they had to do was really catch up with a lot of new features. So Pinterest before was really just you pinned something and there was only one way to interact with a pin. And that was just a static pin is what they call it. Well, with also the rise of TikTok and Reels and short form video, Pinterest was really curious about how they could get into that arena as well to keep people on the platform. Because the unique part about Pinterest is people will save their ideas, they'll gather a bunch of stuff, and then they'll click on a pin and click away. Whereas all these other platforms like Instagram and TikTok, their goal is to keep people on the platform. So with this rise of users, Pinterest basically said, how do we keep them around longer? And so they introduced this feature called idea pins, which is similar to what you would see on an Instagram story. And there's also really short form video like you would see on TikTok too as well. But it's really centered around an idea. It's something that's evergreen, something that can live forever. It's not time sensitive like an Instagram story. And then people can save it. So when they added this, they didn't add a link, which was a little bit frustrating for those who were used to leaving the platform. Just this week, actually, Pinterest is adding links to idea pins. So we're seeing a little bit of this tension between what all the other social media platforms are doing and the unique culture of Pinterest and how it's set apart. And I think Pinterest is just trying to wrestle with that over the last couple of years, but it definitely looks a lot different than it did in 2019. Yeah. And I think all of us just feel overwhelmed in general, right? I think with the pandemic, it brought out this huge explosion. All of a sudden, we are spending a lot more time on our screens, not just computer, but also our cell phone as well. And I think in general, as a business owner, you do feel overwhelmed. This is a lot to keep up, right? I mean, Instagram just roll out like an NFT function as well. I'm like, I can't keep up. There's too no. many things. So how do we figure out what exactly is the right platform for us? And then I know staging specifically, real estate specifically, obviously Instagram is a big one, but it's very visual. How does Pinterest different from using Instagram? 
Yeah. So we see Pinterest, well, we see all of them as having their unique purpose for any type of business. But with Pinterest, what we see it is in this bucket of YouTube and Google, very much a search and discovery platform. So we wouldn't even put it in the bucket of social media. Whereas like on Instagram, I go to follow people because... I'm interested in their life. I'm interested in their business. And I really want to be consumed with what it is they're talking about. Well, when I go to Pinterest, I want to be consumed with me. Like I'm very much interested in getting an answer to my question where I don't approach Instagram that way. I'm not looking for a solution. So that's the number one way that marketers can see the platform differently is that you need to think about interacting with your user at that curious point. They're asking questions like, how do I stage my home? How do I stage my Airbnb? What are the best colors to include in a warm kind of environment of staging or or something along those lines? And that's how you want to see it as different. It's not an either or, it's both because you're going to get a different type of user. In fact, a lot of our clients will say, They get repeat customers from Instagram because they're following them. They're really interested in them. And they'll get new cold leads from Pinterest because they don't really care about the business. They're not searching a business name. They're searching the problem that the business solves, which then leads them to your business. So that's what we encourage people to think about is it's like that bicycle wheel. How can each one of the arms going out, Pinterest being one of them, serve you in your business and help elevate it. And we think using Pinterest and Instagram at the same time is a really wise thing to do. You just can't approach the platforms the exact same way. I uh, totally agree with that. And also I think it's an intention as well. It's like, what do you want to get out from the platform? And I think when we're doing marketing, we actually really need to think about the end user, which is our ideal target clients, right? What are they looking for? And how can we make sure our marketing is tailored to what they're looking for? Yeah, exactly. And if you go to Pinterest and you think, one, it's going to take a while. So it's not a very fun platform to market on. Whereas the Instagram, you get these kickbacks of likes and comments and engagement metrics. Where on Pinterest, there is some of that, but it's still very much that introvert's platform where we're not used to a whole lot of conversation. It is getting better with that introduction of idea pins and you can drill down a little bit more to kind of connect with your customer. But their inclination on Pinterest is not to follow right away. It's to lurk, it's to gather, it's to kind of wade into the waters slowly to figure out what it is that's gonna work for them. And they're creating a board that says home staging ideas. And they're putting like 150 pins in it and your content might be in that. And then they'll make a decision and then come to your website, which is again, very much unique to Pinterest because people, it's like a holding tank for all their ideas until they're ready to make a decision, which really is about three to six months before they actually want to do it, which is also hard because Like I said, it doesn't feel like a very fun platform to market on. It's a little bit boring. But if you invest in it, the snowball effect really takes hold down the line. And I think that is a tricky thing about marketing on Pinterest is that I think one of the misconceptions is that localized service-based business, it's really hard to use Pinterest, where it's really for e-commerce, selling products, stuff like that, especially with a global reach, right? So how can local and service-based businesses like HomeSagers use Pinterest to grow our staging businesses? 
Yeah. So there's a couple of ways that you can approach it. One is you can just show your content for inspiration, which could be to the masses, right? You might not necessarily attract somebody that's in your area, but you could. It's kind of like showing your inspiration, showing what you've done, past stuff. It's kind of like casting a wide net. Well, if you have a component of maybe an online consultation, which we had talked about that during the time of COVID, when you couldn't really do a lot of in-person stuff, people transition to some of this. That helps those local businesses now reach people on a more national scale where you can say, yeah, I can do a consult with you and I can help you stage your home. I don't necessarily have to be there. And then I would say the third part of it is going to be using keywords that are to your local area. Because we take a little bit of some inspiration from travel to where travel is really localized, right? People are searching for certain things in a particular area. So don't discount that a small amount of people might say home staging services in Portland, Oregon. Yes, they might go to Yelp or they might go to Google, but it's like you kind of want to take a multi-prong approach to cast that net out there and you just never know who's going to interact with you. And there is a fourth option and that is paid ads on Pinterest. You can get local with paid ads. So it's not something that people think about when they think of Pinterest is advertising. They usually think of that for Instagram and Facebook, but it is an option. That's a great thing to talk about because I think one of the things we really haven't talked about on this show is doing pay ads. So let's start talking about it. I know even though we had that questions later on, but let's talk about it now since we're talking about it. So what are your thoughts on Pinterest ads? Like how can we prepare ourselves before we advertise on Pinterest? Yeah, Pinterest ads is such a different beast than Facebook and Instagram. So there's one thing is preparing for at least six months of investment, not six months, six weeks of investment right up in the front to allow Pinterest to index your ad. So whereas if I start an ad on Instagram or Facebook, I know really quickly if it's targeting the right audience within an hour, two hours, or a day. Pinterest takes a week to optimize an ad. So we always tell people, if you're going to do Pinterest ads, number one, plan out six full weeks of investment. Number two, know exactly what you want that pinner to do. So for a lot of people, it's capturing an email address or it's getting something that they are going to buy right off the bat. Having a really strong conversion that you know exactly what it costs you, then you can put in the right budget for it and you can see from there. The other one is really knowing the keywords that people are using to find that particular product or that particular signup or whatever it is. If you start with that and you know, okay, I want to target this, or maybe you have done ads on other platforms, you can take that ad and you can tweak it a little bit for Pinterest as long as you understand it's not just an awareness builder, whereas we would run awareness ads on Facebook and Instagram. Awareness ads on Pinterest are really for large companies who have very large budgets. So we recommend for small business owners, they get very granular down to the conversion ads because that's where you're going to get the most bang for your buck. So really prepping, joining education. We have a membership that's dedicated to learning all about ads. And what we've learned is that with ads changing so often, you really have to have someone who's able to coach you and guide you and really help tweak what it is that you're doing. But I think it can be valuable. What I love about it is that probably 
I don't know, a year ago, I would have said, you need to have an organic presence on Pinterest for at least three to six months. Now I wouldn't say that at all. You can go straight into ads if you want. In fact, a lot of businesses do that, especially if they know exactly how much they want to spend and what their conversion is. They can just go all in and try it right away. That's amazing. And that's really interesting because I noticed that with Instagram as well. Like a lot of times I click on Instagram ads, the company that is advertising actually doesn't even have an Instagram account. Yes, I've noticed that too. Yeah. And I think that's fascinating. So we no longer really need to grow our Pinterest account organically to yeah. in order to advertise. I would say I would still advise people on Pinterest, especially just to have at least four to five boards. So it kind of looks a little bit more active. Cause I know for me, even though I do see those ads on Instagram and even on Pinterest and I'm like, Oh, they don't even have a presence. I don't know. I kind of take a little bit of a step back sometimes. Like I kind of want to know more about them a little bit. But I mean, to get why they're doing it, it makes me go straight to their website and get to know more about them on their website. So it's not a deal breaker. It's more just a preference. Yeah. No, I'm the same way because I'm always like clicking on a company to see their Instagram page or their Pinterest page to see what they're about and then their website and stuff like that. And I always feel like, oh, that's weird. You don't have a (laughs) profile at all. So that makes sense. Yeah. And I think that's a really difficult part for a small business owner is when it comes to hiring, right? Because it's one thing we know, okay, right? It's easier probably to hire someone who specializes in Pinterest and can manage that for us. But the thing is, how do we know if this is the right person, if they know what they're doing? Also, Pinterest changes so much and so quickly. I think all social media platforms are nowadays. There's new features coming out all the time. So how do we know we're hiring the right person for us? Yeah. So I would say it probably starts with, I'm going to even back up a little bit more, is before you think about hiring somebody, know why you're doing it. Really leaning into, this is why I want to invest in Pinterest. This is how long I want to invest in it. And these are the goals that I have for it. Because then what you can do is you can take it into that meeting with the person that you potentially want to hire. And Everybody who hires you should for sure ask you, what are your goals? What are your intentions? And I have a community of Pinterest service providers that I teach. And what I love about each one of them is they're very niched to know a market. So even one of the ones that I work with, she works with short-term rentals. She works with people who are Airbnb, you know, their stuff. And she's really digging in on that. If I was a person who I was in the short-term rental game, I would go to her versus going to somebody who knows about weddings, right? So I would do some due diligence to see, does this person have any experience in my industry? And granted, home staging is very niche. So what I would look for is somebody who also has maybe even some travel experience because travel very closely aligns with this to where it can be national, but it is very localized, right? So asking great questions, asking how they stay educated, how they stay up on the latest trends. And then I would say third, and this is probably from a service provider perspective, is that knowing that your service provider is doing all they can, but sometimes they can't, they're not magical. A lot of people will come to us and they want us to get their traffic up or they want us to do these things that sometimes we don't always have control over based on what the algorithm does and when it switches and when it changes. And Pinterest is very much 
they are at the whim of Google sometimes. And they have had a great windfall over the last couple of years with their pin links being indexed. So if Google makes a change and to their updates, that affects Pinterest in a way like it doesn't affect an Instagram or a Facebook. So all that to say, I think if you go in to hire somebody, definitely have a discovery call with them. If they don't have an option for a discovery call for you to connect with them, they're not your person because you need to be able to ask really good questions. And then asking what is their monthly reporting? What are they going to tell you every single month? And how does that align with your goals? That's a really important thing as well because you don't want to say, yeah, I want traffic, but then somebody's reporting to you something completely different. So it's making sure that you know why you're hiring somebody, what this frees you up to do, and then what your budget is, and then what your time investment is. Because we would tell any of our clients, you really need to give it a full six months to see if it works or if it doesn't work. And any shorter than that, some clients come to us after a month and they're freaking out because they're like, oh my gosh, I'm not getting any results. And we're like, hey, just pump the brakes a little bit. You got to give it a little bit longer. Yeah. I mean, just like growing a plant, it's not immediately going to give you fruit or anything. It needs time to really like be healthy and then grow in the right direction to be able to flower and bear fruit. It's just running the business as well. And I think that's true also for any sort of marketing strategy. Well, actually, most of the time it's not immediate. So it's very frustrating, right? Like marketing is not for the faint of heart. And actually it's, it's the hardest part of our business sometimes because especially when we're using all these different platforms that change and add features. And I mean, look at Instagram. It's not even a photo sharing platform anymore. It's like, now it's video. That's just a whole nother layer for somebody. Yeah. And I think for a business owner, it just feels exhausting. It's like, finally, like, I think I got video down and now we got this new other feature that I need to, you know, start making reels for and all these things, you know, it is a lot to keep up sometimes. And I find too, if we're exhausted, the consumer is exhausted too. They're not keeping up as well. And so that's actually what I love about Pinterest is they are one of the slower moving platforms amongst all of them. They're the outlier, right? Nowhere else can you really save this much content to all these places that can be organized, right? The only other option is literally like the bookmark toolbar on your computer. But in this case, it gives us that visual appeal to really connect with something and save it and know that we can revisit it later, which is different than everywhere else. Yeah. And for those of us who want to manage our own Pinterest or social media in general, because things are changing so quickly all the time with features and trends, what advice do you have on keeping up to date with what's going on? And also, how do we keep ourselves organized when we are planning out content? Yeah, I would say one of the biggest things that we've seen work for people is, well, some people love Airtable. I am not a big fan of using it, but I know a lot of people keep their content organized in that, or they even use a simple Google Sheet with an editorial calendar just to keep track of where they're going. I love that kind of pillar. We do it for our podcast too, and kind of saying this is where we're going because then you can go outward from there, right? Like you could create an Instagram reel or you could create something on Pinterest. So when we think of how to stay organized, we start there. And then if we go into Pinterest, then we start with the images because the pinner sees the image first and they're not gonna read anything that's below. And so making sure that you have a quick 
but really effective way to create images. You can buy a lot of templates in a lot of places that work with Canva. I'm horrible actually at creating images for Pinterest. I need templates or I need a quick solution because I agonize over it. And we find that that is a big time suck for people who want to market on Pinterest is they just spend so much time on images. So get templates and then really think about what you're putting in that image that is, I don't know if it's a teaser as much as it is something that intrigues them or it tells them how to, or what are the main components of home staging or what is the buyer's eye go to when they're looking at furniture or something like that? Or how do you want your buyer to feel? You want to have those. And then from there, you want to think about the keywords that people are searching because that's what they're doing on Pinterest. Sometimes they're scrolling and wasting time. But for the most part, when they're looking for something specifically around something like home staging, they're putting in a phrase, they're putting in a question. So you want to use those same words in your pin descriptions And that's really for the algorithm. Again, it's not for the pinner. They don't read. And then pinning consistently. And by that, I mean like one to two a day is fine. And then leveraging those idea pins too as well. So you could take that one blog post or page on your website, create a static image, and then create an idea pin. Let's say it's three ways to stage your home for the buyer to buy it every time. I'm making that up, but we'll go with that. That static image has that phrase on it. And then the idea pin could have four cards. That's kind of what they're called. One is what it is, the three ways to get your buyer to buy. Card one is the first tip. Card two is the... And so on. And now you've created two different ways that you could potentially interact with people on Pinterest asking that question. How do I stage my home to sell? So it's really trying to get in that rhythm, which we have found. We've done time audits somebody will spend maybe five to six hours a month on Pinterest, whereas they'll spend 12 to 14 hours on Instagram or TikTok creating these things. So it's still, while it might feel overwhelming, it's way, way, way less time consuming because you don't have to go back and comment and revisit and you don't use hashtags on Pinterest. So there's just so many things that are removed, but getting into that groove of creating a pin image, knowing what keywords you're using, and then creating an idea pin after that. If you can get into that rhythm, I think that you'll be successful in the long term. That's really great advice. And I've heard this debate between ugly graphics versus pretty (laughs) graphics. Do you have any thoughts on that? I wish I could say there was a consistent thread. You know, we work with so many clients and so many niches that we've tried to drill it down. There is like the ugly food pictures that sometimes like the ugly chicken breasts and you're like, why are people doing this? I think one of the things you want to be thinking about is the end user is connecting with the image and how it so closely connects to their life. So if you have something that's like a very chaotic home and that it's like a before and an after and the before has like stuff all over and it's cluttered and it's all these kinds of things and you show how somebody can do this in like three days, I'm making that up. But that connects with them because they see the messy and they long for the clean, right? So I can't call out any consistency with that. I know that you can, there's people who've drilled down to look at like colors and what things stand out or phrases. You can do like A-B testing to see. But I think for the most part, it's going to be knowing your pin images and how the people interact with those 
And what we tell people to do is like once a month, go into Pinterest analytics and there's now a little checkbox where you can see pins that are pinned in the last 30 days. Just look at those at a high level and see which ones that are getting the most engagement. Then rinse and repeat again, some of that type of image. If it's an ugly image, I guess keep doing the ugly image, but we do see older pins that maybe, you know, you created in the beginning when you weren't very good at it, that people really resonated with. And chances are they resonated with it because it was a really impactful solution to their problem, right? It's not necessarily how the image looked, but you provided a solution. No, I love that. This I was like discussing this with one of our previous Pinterest manager and she's like insisting on ugly graphic. I was like, but we're homestagers. I don't want an <laughs> ugly house on my Pinterest board. No, you don't. I appreciate that, you know, that you said that. And I think we've managed like 700 accounts and it really drills down to the niche to what the people, the end user is asking and then the performance of the account. So it's really hard to do like a sweeping, this works every time. Some people will declare like, always use these colors or always use these. And we've tried it. Like oftentimes what we'll do is we'll hear the rumors that are out there and we'll task a few of our account specialists to try it on five accounts. And it's fascinating, almost nine times out of 10, it doesn't work. And it's usually like what worked for one doesn't work for the masses. So it's just kind of an interesting vantage point that we have to say, hmm, I don't know, a little hard to say. I mean, that's a difficulty, but there's so many quote unquote Pinterest experts on the market, right? So I really appreciate you mentioning actually testing because I feel like a lot of times, even with these big internet marketers, they're very famous, Right. But I've heard feedback about their Pinterest courses are really outdated at this point. It's never updated after they originally wrote it. And I think that's the issue with technology type of course. It's that it moves so quickly all the time. If you don't update your course, that's really bad. For our school, we teach mostly business skills. And business skills are fairly constant. But even then, we still try to update as much as we possibly can. Because just the overall environment has changed. For example, after pandemic, people have different tolerance for different things. And we start seeing, for example, Generation Z is coming into buying homes, but with friends, not with their families. So then we can no longer have a primary bedroom. We need to have multiple bedrooms that are staged as primary bedroom because every person owns a home is going to be a primary homeowner, right? Mm-hmm. No one wants the dingy, dark cave basement room. That's like an in-laws unit type of thing, right? Yeah. So, Well, and I love that you bring that up because Pinterest is really focused on Gen Z. And a lot of their news updates and literature is really around that and how they can really get in front of that new generation. And even for me, like my kids, my girls are 16 and 15 and they use Pinterest all the time. So it's like these new pinners kind of coming up that are going to continue to use it and continue to be threaded into it. Whereas some of the other, I don't know, TikTok, I mean, it's taken a lot from a lot of the other platforms, but I love that you bring that up and, you know, kind of touching back on the course thing. I think if anybody is going to buy a course, I agree with you. That's why we went to memberships actually in 2019 because we just felt like we can't keep this up. Like it's too hard. I have two cautions for people. One, 
never take a course that promises you a 5, 10, 20 X in traffic. I look at that from an outside perspective. And I think, I don't know how in your good conscience, you can say that to be true because I wouldn't do it for myself. I wouldn't do it for any clients because I know the variables are out there. It's just a really impossible claim. So I would say somebody who's promising you that red flag. And then I would say number two is to ask when it was updated and how they're getting their information. Because when you have one person's perspective, it's so much different than the rest. And I think there's a lot of great things that can come from one person's perspective and they can share it and they can say, this is really what worked for me. And I think there's power in that. But when you're very declarative to say, this is going to work for everybody, that is also a red flag too, because there's so many different variables in keyword targeting and how often you're creating content and then what your content looks like. I think there are some that are out there that are good. Just look for those few red flags and don't get caught up in thinking it's going to be this magical thing of you're not going to 20 extra traffic. I hate to break it, but I think Pinterest in 2019, you kind of could have gotten away with making that claim. You really can't get away with that now. It's, it's almost impossible. And we're seeing Pinterest merge from a traffic driver, which it still very much is, into a really awareness and authority builder because of now we have idea pins and things like that. So it's just shifting. Those are my cautions. I feel pretty passionate about people buying courses that are a waste of their time because we get them after they've bought the courses and they're like, I wish I would have just come here before. Instead of going through all of this, we do a coaching model where it's like kind of what we're talking about here that I get into your specific niche and we can give you ideas and you're not feeling like it's this blanket statement for everybody. Yeah, no, I totally hear you. I was like nodding like crazy. <laughs> we see the same in education space within our industry as well. I think there are a lot of claims from these kind of more traditional <laughs> education model within our staging industry or real estate industry too. It's actually fairly predatory, you know, to promise that you can be a stager in X amount of hours or after a three-day training, that kind of thing. It's really difficult. I mean, yeah, I mean, anyone can start a business simply by going to the city hall and turning the business license. I mean, I can tell you right now, I can do that in 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. But I think it's irresponsible to promise that you can start a profitable home staging business with just a few days under your belt. Mm -hmm. It's a lifelong practice, really. I mean, business can change at any moment. I think COVID really taught Mm -hmm. us that lesson. Mm -hmm. For sure. I mean, I would, could never be a good home stager. Maybe I could say it, but I'm definitely not skilled. You would not want to hire me at all. Yeah, I agree with you. It's COVID has changed things a lot and it's hard to hear everybody say they're an expert, but asking a few questions really does a lot to learn about the person and their philosophies and their vantage points. Yeah, and I love that. And also I think today everyone is really looking for that curation, right? I hate that word curation at this point because I feel like it's so over-talked about, but it is really important. People want to be tailored to, they want that special experience. And I think that's something that's very interesting about Pinterest because you do feel like when you're on Facebook or Instagram, it's clearly like some sort of algorithm is trolling you, right? You know, we all seen that meme where this guy walks away and this girl is like going to the phone, therapy, 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 (laughs) buy me purses, buy me purses. 
take me to dinner, take me to dinner, because they're trying to influence that algorithm. Where Pinterest, like you said earlier, is really about the user. It's about what the user wants, mm -hmm. uh, that they're actively seeking, not the other way around where they're just being fed reels or posts and information all the time. Yeah. And this actually brings me to like a really great tip that I like to tell everybody who has not used Pinterest for their marketing is get the app on your phone, spend 30 minutes on it and just become familiar with how you feel as a user on the app, because that will help you be a better marketer and especially searching things, clicking on things, whatever it is, then you more closely identify with the user experience. And then you can create from that vantage point to say, I spend a lot of time on Instagram, probably way too much, right? But what's interesting is that helps me be a better marketer over there. And what I know I like and I don't like, right? Or what I'm annoyed by or not annoyed by. That's the same with Pinterest is I use Pinterest a lot personally. In fact, I have a forward-facing public profile, but I have a bunch of secret boards. And that's a little hack too, that if you don't want to have two accounts, you can have your business and then a bunch of secret boards. But I learned so much when I'm personally searching on Pinterest. I learn what I'm annoyed by. Like, I know there's certain industries now that their images do look really bad, right? I'm not saying that's good and leads to their success by any means, I'm saying there's room to level up in those industries because their images are so bad. And that's what I take away for my students and clients is go look at your industry on Pinterest, go use it and then help fuel your tactics by that experience. Like really drill into it, you know, and the people who use Pinterest a lot, I think they're way better marketers on Pinterest because they know what they like and they don't like. Yeah, exactly. And you mentioned earlier that Pinterest now has pin links. Is that the right term? <laughs> oh, idea pins, right? Yeah. Well, I think the question really is about how does Pinterest affect SEO? Oh, so okay. how is Google indexing from our pins? Let's say we're businesses, we are pinning things to our boards to attract people to our account and our websites. How do we leverage Google to do that through Pinterest? Yeah, that is the million dollar question. So I would say Pinterest enjoyed a beautiful season of time. What would happen is that people would search what to do with leftover baby cereal or something like that. They're on Google. And somebody actually had a pin that had that exact phrase in it. Well, it started getting indexed on Google and then more people started clicking on it. And then all of a sudden you get these people coming over to Pinterest. It might've been a basic user even. It might not have been a business user on Pinterest, but because it had that exact phrase, it was being indexed by Google. Well, slowly over the years, Google has chipped away at that with its algorithm. In fact, in November, they had a big Google update that cut off a lot of Pinterest traffic. So Pinterest is a public company now. They went public in 2019. They have talked about that actually in their most recent investor report, that that was the biggest reason for their loss of users and their decrease in traffic was because they were hit by the algorithm update back in November of 21. So there's no real literature or tactics around the how. It's really just that if these things get indexed by Google and people click on them, they tend to get higher. So the number one way would be 
using similar keywords. So if your website has an SEO component to it and you're really focused on that, use some of those same keywords in your pin description. And it's kind of like a, a Hail Mary, like let's hope it works, right? So there's no real solid tactic. I wish I could say there was, but I think in the next couple of years too, we might see Google chip away at that even more, which you don't really see that. You don't see Facebook posts being indexed. You don't see Instagram posts being indexed. It's really just Pinterest that kind of enjoyed that little bump for a while. Is there a magic number of how often we should post to Pinterest? Like how many posts a day or a week? Is there such thing as a magic number? (laughs) I wish, but I'll give you a range. There's a magic range. How's that? One is just consistency. So Pinterest has told us multiple times, we want you to be daily pinning on the platform. Now, daily could mean different things to people depending on how much content they create. So let's say you don't have a lot of blog posts, but you might have a lot of images that lead to the same blog post or the same page on your website. I would say one to two per day is okay, right? Because you don't have hardly anything. So I would never tell you to do 10 is great. Whereas somebody who is a content creator, who is creating one to two posts a week, and they've been doing that for four to five years, they've got such a backlog to choose from. Even for me, one podcast a week, which is converted into a blog post, I can support five a day, right? Because I've got different images and stuff. So it really depends on your expansive images and your expanse of posts where you can lead people to. But consistency, if it's one and you feel like that's all you can support, fantastic. When it comes to idea pins, they recommend one to two per week. Some people, because Pinterest added it back to Gen Z because they wanted to give Gen Z this place to kind of create micro content. So it wasn't like you were creating something on your website, but you're creating on Pinterest. And that's what their whole push was, was create on Pinterest because again, TikTok, people were creating on TikTok. So they're like, we want a slice of that pie too. So if you don't have a lot and you want to go the route of creating micro content on Pinterest, that's great too. So you could even take and repurpose reels if you're already doing those. You just want to get rid of the watermark. And then you could put that over on an idea pin and you could do those once a day. Pinterest is so hungry for people to create idea pins. They're not going to be annoyed if you create one a day. And then maybe you only do one to two static pins per week. So there's a lot of variables in there, which is why I can't get it a magic number. But new accounts, from what we're hearing with new accounts, idea pins really are good at getting you into connecting with the reader a little bit faster than the regular static pins. Yeah, I think in general, we just are so much more about videos nowadays. You know, everything is videos. I mean, I have to say, I'm one of those people who watches Netflix now at one and a half times speed. (laughs) No way. (laughs) That's hilarious. I'm just like so used to it now. And now when I watch, like if I'm on Facebook, I can watch a video when it's like a faster speed. I get annoyed because I'm used to it. You see it on reels too. Reels are getting shorter and shorter and shorter. I mean, next thing you know, it's going to be like two seconds. I know. It's true. Yeah. On Pinterest. So the app has changed a lot too. So you'll see a lot of bubbles at the top. Those bubbles are the idea pins. They look like Instagram stories. So they have bubbles at the top and then your regular feed. Well, they also have at the top, 
it says browse, watch. So browse meaning the scrolling. And then when I go to watch, it immediately takes me to the TikTok style of Pinterest. I think it's back to that thing, like our attention spans, we just can't do it anymore, right? And so it makes sense that you're watching Netflix at like 1.5. I know it's crazy, right? Most of the shows actually, because the pace is so slow, yeah, you don't really see a dramatic difference, especially if you're watching like a foreign language show. For me, because you don't understand what I talk about anyway, you're reading subtitle. It just doesn't make any difference. <laughs> so then really you're a fast reader is what you're telling me. Is you can quickly scan the words. Basically, yeah. And also I, I like to watch a lot of horror shows, thrillers and stuff. Yeah. And sometimes the tension is too much. I can't take it. So I'm just, we need to fast forward this part just before I'm going to freak out basically. <laughs> That's so awesome. And I'm one of those people who have had a Pinterest account for a very long time, I think since the very beginning. So how often should we clean up our Pinterest boards? And what do we need to do to clean things up? Yeah, I say revisit it once a year. That doesn't mean a deep clean. So like, if you are a person that has a personal account and you want to start using it for business... You're going to have to clean it up to reflect your business, right? So you can't have like home staging next to like nails because those two are definitely in conflict. So you can move your nail board to secret so you can still keep it. But everything that's forward facing should be so centered around what your business is, the title at the top, you can claim your account. Everybody who is doing business needs to convert to a business account. Plus you get analytics and ads and It's just way better. And then once you do that, once a year is fine. And you can watch your Netflix on 1.5, even while you're doing it. And you just want to make sure, is it still in alignment with what I talk about? So maybe if I have merged and now I'm doing a lot of short-term rental staging, you want to make sure that that keyword is in there if you've never had it before. But truthfully, I revisit my account like once a year. But even not that much anymore. It's more like when Pinterest makes a change. So you used to be able to do a video at the top for your header. And they've changed up their profile look quite often. That's usually when I clean up is when they do something. So they took away the ability to have a video at the top. And then all of a sudden, it was just blank. So we had to go in and create a new image and make sure it looked good and kind of dust things off. But I rarely changed my name, obviously. And I rarely change the description of what we do and who we are. And I, the link is always the same. It goes to my website. So it's really just boards. Like if we don't see they're relevant anymore, then move them to secret. And so where exactly do we put the keywords on Pinterest? Is it individual pin in the description area or just yeah. like the title? Yeah. So it's kind of a, probably would say a fourfold approach. So if we go from the top down, want to have keywords in your description of your profile. So if you do home staging, you absolutely have to have home staging in your description. Then you go into your board names and your board names, your board description and your pin description, they all tell the algorithm where to put that content and how to like fish it out to the rest of Pinterest. So if it is home staging for Airbnbs, you would use that in the board name, board description and pin description. And the pin descriptions have to sound natural sounding. So you just write in it like a text I would send to you like, hey, we're doing home staging for Airbnbs in Portland, Oregon. This light and airy feel helps people rent it all the time. 
or <laughs> something like that. Don't worry about hashtags. You will see them pop up on Pinterest. They've said they love them, said they took them away, said they love them, took them away. But yet somebody hasn't updated their new business onboarding thing to where when you open up a new account, it'll say something about hashtags. Just ignore it. Like they haven't updated their welcome sequence or something. They don't work. So that's back to that course thing. You're going to hear somebody teach on hashtags. Tune it out. It does not work because the user actually doesn't use hashtags to search. Replacing a keyword with a hashtag removes the ability for the algorithm to really put your content where it needs to go. Got it. And I think something that's really interesting that I've seen recently that Pinterest have launched a new for home decor feature, basically using AR augmented reality. For those of you who are listening and don't know what that is, basically you can point your phone to a corner of your room and you can pull up like a sofa, for example, to see how it looks inside that room. Do you see this as a growing trend and opportunity for home design professionals like us? You know, yes and no. Yes, if it expands to more people being able to use it, because right now it feels very connected to large retailers where then you could buy their products, right? If it extends to everybody and you have the ability to upload like an affiliate link or a product link, yes. But even the other day, I was searching how to rearrange living room furniture. And what's really fascinating about that is I never once got the try on. It didn't show up for me. What showed up for me and what was interesting is I then got bucketed down into style, like contemporary, traditional, all the, you know, like we forget these kind of keywords too as well. So it's really important for a home stager to think about adding in if you do have a style, if you're a modern farmhouse staging or something like that, that is where it's probably going to be more beneficial to you to get in front of the user than this try on. I don't know. I think it makes sense for beauty. You can test it if you go on Pinterest. Again, this is why you play around with your app. If you go to the search, there's a little camera in the right side of the bar. You can go there and it has this little thing that says try on. And when I click on it, it automatically gives me beauty, eye and lip right at the top. And then I can try it with going through like the colors. I don't know how Pinterest is going to translate that to do like eye, lip, living room. I think that user experience is just going to be interesting. So I haven't really seen it pop up. I've seen people talk about it, but I've seen more than prompt, like the living room furniture piece. They were like, hey, buy this couch for $1,500. I don't know anybody who's going to buy a couch off Pinterest or online anywhere. I have a very long sketchy history with buying couches and I'm never going to buy it online. So that being said, it sounds cool. It's one of those things that Pinterest did that sounds really awesome. I don't know if it's going to affect the smaller business marketer. Yeah, I think for Sagers now, I mean, I think that technology is coming where it's going to become more common because that beauty try on, for example, I saw that at Uniqlo, they could do that. Like let's say you pull a sweater you can change it on the dressing room mirror, the color of that sweater. But that's only like select a store, right? Because those yeah. mirrors are going to be very expensive. And I remember when it first came out, I think it was 2011. And then we were in the San Francisco downtown, this new, huge, big Uniqlo. And this lady was literally trying on a pink 
jacket. And I was just like, oh my God, I could change the color. She's standing there. I was like changing all the color because I was so excited about this mirror. But I also start seeing this in furniture trade shows, for example. Now they're, I think it's a cool factor. I just don't see it being very widely used yet. But I think it it takes time. It takes time for big retailers to really shout out the money to like sign on to do this. Yeah, Maybe 10 years from now, that's going to be just super common. But I think in the meanwhile, probably we have a ways to go. Yeah, I agree. Keep your eye on it and like listen for updates for it. But focus more on the keyword searches and great images. And that's going to get you farther right now. What are some of the big trends that you're seeing on Pinterest nowadays? Well, here's what we do is Pinterest releases their trends like every single month. So there's two resources I would share with people. Number one, they have a new Pinterest business community. I think it's community.pinterest.biz. It's a weird URL. Just search Pinterest creator community. And what Pinterest is trying to do that they haven't done well in the past is connect with creators. That's what they call business users to help them figure out what is trending. And if you join this business creator community, they release the top trends every single month. And that's what we're looking at is what they're releasing based on what they see. Because they have this overarching one they call Pinterest predictions. You can look that up too. It's kind of funny because they're like, we predict this is going to be amazing. It's like, well, of course you can predict that because then at the end of the year, you can kind of say you controlled the direction of which this went, right? So it's a little bit flawed there. but. Those two elements, plus there is a trends tool, trends.pinterest.com. And that can be drilled down with Canada, US, and UK. And you can see the different trends. So that's kind of how we're keeping up with what's changing, what's merging, all those kinds of things on Pinterest. But that creator community, super helpful to get really close to Pinterest when we haven't really had that good connection in the past. That's great. What are some of the biggest mistakes that you would say when people start marketing on Pinterest or even advertising as well? Treating it like it's Instagram. It's a real quick way to burn out and not make it work. That's really the number one. Yeah, I find Instagram super difficult to keep up, to be honest. Just the amount of content you are, quote unquote, supposed to generate to boost your numbers. It just, I think it's just really difficult for most small businesses. Yeah, I 100% agree. So thank you so much for being on the show. Before we end the show, I just have one last question. What is the number one tip you'll give to homestagers when it comes to using Pinterest to grow their homestaging business? Yeah, I would say the number one tip is be a user first. So don't jump into the platform before you market over there, not knowing what it's like. Just spend that 30 minutes on the platform like a traditional user, just kind of seeing what the features are. And that will put you light years ahead of somebody who is not familiar with the platform. Some people are even frustrated or annoyed with the platform. They don't like Pinterest. But if you can at least engage with it for 30 minutes, click on everything. Don't hold back and just see what is there. That's going to make you better at being a marketer over there. Thank you so much again for being on the show today. That was amazing. Yeah, you're welcome. So that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to help and support the show, there are three ways to do so. You can leave a review and rating on iTunes. You can share the show on social media, or you can donate to support the maintaining costs for the podcast. You can make a donation through the show notes or on the sidebar of our site. 
If you haven't left a review on iTunes, please do so. This will help us grow the show and book more guests. If you have any questions, feedback, and suggestions, you can comment on the show notes. You can also find the show notes by going to sagemore.com slash podcast. That's it. Have a fantastic week and happy staging.